This episode of Poetry Snaps is going to sound a little bit different. As part of Auckland Pride, I worked with Dan Goodwin to put together a showcase called Queer Bones Sex Poems. It's exactly what you might expect. We gathered some of the city's best queer poets to talk about queer sex and poetry. The second half of the event showcases their poems. We recorded live in front of an audience at Move Space on Dominion Road. The weather was turning and the traffic was building up because Ed Sheeran had decided to have a concert that night. Welcome everyone. Um, thank you for making it um, despite the traffic. Welcome to Queer Bone Sex Poems. Give it up for our poets. Um, my name's Sarah or Sazok. Um, whatever you, says okay, whatever you want to call me. Um, and I am the host of Poetry Snaps, which is a podcast about Auckland or Aotearoa's poetry scene. Um, and so we're going to be recording this tonight, um, hence why we've got some mics. Um, and uh, we're going to start tonight with a little bit of a panel about uh, queer sex and poetry. Um, and then we will move on welcome, come on in. <laughs> um, and then we are going to move on to a showcase of poetry. Now, we were hoping to wrap this event by 8.30 tonight, but that might go over. Unfortunately, a straight white man has um, caused a lot of traffic uh, on Dominion Road. So, you know, fuck the straights. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I'll introduce our poets, um, and then we will get into the panel. Great. Um, so, starting over here, we have Grace Shelley. Um, she is a poet and educator and editor of Over Overcom Magazine, um, which is a zine that publishes all sorts of queer writing. Um, we actually have a few copies at the front. If you're interested, you can purchase them later in the evening. Um, next to Grace, we have Quinn. Uh, Quinn is a part-time poet full-time lesbian. Um, <laughs> um, and um, me and Quinn have worked together, written together, performed together um, on a variety of occasions, and I'm really excited to have them here tonight. Um, over here we have Joshua Iosefo, um, who is a how would you describe yourself, Joshua? I mean, like, you're so multifaceted. You're a poet, but you're also a playwright and sort of an academic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm just a magician, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Just shape-shifting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of being that little cheeky little thing that kind of, you know, you kind of know what I am, but you don't know what I am, and I like to keep it that way. You know, you know, that, but anyway. But yeah, that's me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then over here we have um, Niall Simmons. Um, Niall is a poet from, well, raised in Hawaii, and um, Natipuro, I believe. Yep. Um, and she has been performing in Auckland. How long have you been performing in Auckland for? Mike, please, seven months. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Um, and she is quite prominent in the Jaffa Slam scene as well. Um, so keep an eye out. Um, and then finally, we have Dan Goodwin, um, my good friend and poet and um, 2021's National Slam champ. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first time I actually ever saw 
poetry about queer sex performed was when I saw Dan perform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that was at a slam in 2020, I think. Um, and it was the first time that I was like, oh, wow, like that's allowed. Um, so I guess my first question is to you, Dan. Um, what sort of motivates you to write poetry about queer sex? Uh, oh, hello. Hi. Come on in, come on in. Um, uh, I'm a whole bunch of stuff, I reckon. I... I I never in, I never intended to start. I never like woke up one day and was like, I want to talk about boning. <laughs> um, but I think because I was running around uh, relationships and mental health and the idea of dating and falling in love around relationships, uh, sex being a really key part of most the majority of <laughs> romantic relationships as well. Um, yeah, and realizing that, I don't know, I just wanted to write about that aspect. And I'm very much part of a generation that did not have any sex education, didn't have any of those kind of conversations in school, you know, never talked about queer sex, queer sexuality, queer romance was never really a thing until my 20s. So I was like, okay, I want to I wanna touch on on all of this. Mm. And now I predominantly make sex jokes for a living, which is <laughs> great. <laughs> Joshua, I heard you nodding and uh, agreeing and eyeing with Dan's answer. <laughs> Do you have something to add? Do you have something to add to that in terms of like your motivation behind writing poetry about queer sex? Yeah. Oh. Um. Oh, I love sex. Yeah, 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 sex is great, sex is great. And being queer is fucking great too, you know? Like, um, but I really I really resonated with you when you're talking about, I guess, like access to um, things in regards to like queer romance and seeing that displayed, I think, from a queer Pacifica point of view, we don't see that at all, you know? And so I guess I see myself as this kind of storyteller to kind of like tell those stories, you know? Mm. And so, and sex is a big part of it. And mm. yeah, and I can't wait to spit on it. Like. I'm, and poetry, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 Ten, yeah, 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 no, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I might throw some questions over to the left side of myself. Um, maybe Quinn. When was the first time you read or heard a queer sex poem? Can you think of a time? Maybe like an, or maybe one that like stood out to you. If you can't remember the first time, because it might not have necessarily hit you like that? Uh, I remember the first time I had sex with a woman. Oh. I, re I, re I remember that. <laughs> About the poetry, I'm not so sure. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think it, it's, it's um, back to what Dan and, and Josh were saying about um, not seeing it and just not growing up with it and not having the education, not having the words, not having the, the language or the, the visibility of it is just like, well, I want to talk about what I feel, what I experience um, and what other people are probably feeling and experiencing but is not being shared. So I guess that's, yeah. Mm. But I, I don't remember the specific poem. Um, <laughs> I think I was trying to, the first one that I wrote, I think was, 
I was trying to be clever about using the word assonance and making it about ass, and that was that was what happened. <laughs> I actually want to sort of like expand on that question for you, Grace, because I mean, you have a collection as part of Overcome, um, which was called Sex Poems. So, I mean, you've read a lot of <laughs> sex poetry. Um, what do you sort of notice about queer sex poetry? Um, like, are there any sort of like trends that you notice in, in, in them? Um, one thing about the Overcome collection sex poems is that it's unfortunate, no, it's not unfortunately, it is um, all of the poems are like deeply metaphorical and there's no swears in it, there's no like mentions of like cunt or anything and I was like really ready, oh sorry, am I allowed to say that word? Okay, good, because it's in my poem as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I was really ready to read like the most salacious poetry and then everything that came in was all metaphors. So I did, like, um, I have been thinking about doing another collection of sex poems, and uh, my original idea was to call it Fucking. But then, since then, I shortened the name of the um, journal from Overcommunicate to Overcom, and now I'm like, well, so it's O-V-E-R-C-O-M, so I'm like, well, it would only make sense to have the sex version O-V-E-R-C-U-M, so I think that's what's going to happen. But I, <laughs> I also wanted to circle back to um, the question that you just asked of Quinn about the, like, the favorite, you know, the first time reading a mm. sex poem, because it... it reminded me of something about a poem that I'm going to be reading which is not my own it's my favorite queer sex poem um but it just then when Quinn said you love you let oh you remember the first time you had sex with a woman it reminded me and I'd completely forgotten that the first time that I had sex with one of my um ex-girlfriends the morning after we were like lying in bed and we read each other poetry and I think that's <laughs> maybe the gayest thing I've ever done <laughs> and I read her like this poem by Adrian Rich that I'm going to be reading later so yeah <laughs> that is that is extremely gay that is that is very good I think it's interesting um because we talked about this on our episode of the podcast as well, a little bit about the sort of metaphors um, that a lot of queer poets use to talk about sex. Um, and it definitely makes me sort of like wonder how much we are shrouding um, our, our sexual experience in, in some kind of guise to make, I guess, maybe like make it more palatable or make it a little bit less scary for us to talk about it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't lie that when I write sex poems, it's very much, I mean, like, you're going to be hearing a metaphor tonight, so <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think part of it is because it is scary. Um, I'm going to attack you with this question, Niall. Um, I've never seen you read sex poetry in front of an audience before. Um have you read poetry about sex in front of an audience before tonight? No. <laughs> um, the, the poem I actually have for tonight is like my first, um, I would say, pretty successful go at one. I've tried in the past, but um, yeah, I mean, the shame around that, right? I think sex mm. in general, but especially queer sex, um, 
makes that very hard and you kind of I never really knew how to go at the topic um, and also how to do it in a way that I think was still beautiful to me um, and yeah said what I wanted to say um, so this is it's going to be a lot of firsts tonight for me um, <laughs> and I will also be shrouding it in metaphor um, <laughs> because we're still working through things but yeah <laughs> And we all, and we all, and we all, we're all in this together. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to throw back to you, Dan, um, just because, like, you were my first queer sex poem experience. <laughs> um, and I guess there's... <laughs> I guess there's, like, the experience of writing um, queer sex poetry, which can be really daunting as you were saying Niall um and and sort of quite challenging and it makes you think about both your own experience and how you want other people to, to receive that um so to speak uh but what is it like performing poetry about queer sex Dan like how, how does that feel in front of an audience especially when you have to like see the reaction it's a conversation with the audience right so what is what is that like for you huh. um well it's, I like I I remember I, I started writing about sex and kind of saw that it had a really positive like impact people seemed to like it so I was like cool we'll do more of this and then as I did more and more and more I started to realize that people kind of made a few assumptions I think about like me as a as a queer person doing writing and performing sex poetry, both like the assumption that I had a lot of sex and also <laughs> that I was really good at it if I was <laughs> if I was talking about it so much. <laughs> Neither of which are very true. <laughs> um, but like that's because that's the reason why I I started I started writing more about that because I didn't have a language for it because I didn't have many experiences of that and I think poetry and kind of all of its forms in some way is a way of finding language is a way of finding finding what's in your head and giving it words when you can't actually give it words right like that's kind of the game of poetry sometimes um, to give what can't be written down language right um, and that looks like a whole bunch of different things. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like writing about it kind of gave me a way to explore like a childhood that I never, or like a teenage years that I never had, like adventures that I was hearing peers talking about that I had never seen before, especially as quite like an anxious person um, in my day-to-day -day life. And I was like, oh no, this is a world and a reality that I can explore with poetry. And then the more I inhabited the poetry, the more I learned from the poems how to take that into real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like tangential yeah. thing. Yeah. My flatmate is in the audience <coughs> laughing. Look. Because we don't have doors in our yeah. flat. <laughs> 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 and so sound travels, and he knows this journey intimately well. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'll leave it on that. Thank you. You're making me blush, Dan. Um, <laughs> to be clear, I'm that flatmate's partner. Um, <laughs> fine. <laughs> 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 uh, 
can't actually remember what I was, where I was going with this. Oh yeah, um, I think something that we were speaking about earlier tonight, just like yarning, is that um, Pride this year is full of poetry events. Um, not all of them specifically about sex, but like. Definitely. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, you know, <laughs> I feel like there's something about, um, I guess, like, being able to explore queerness through poetry, through metaphor, through giving it language that um, I think is very, I guess, freeing for us Um and yeah, I I wonder, Quinn, if um, like w what your experience has been generally in terms of like being able to explore and express your own queerness and exploring poetry for yourself as well, because you've been you've been writing or performing poetry for the last what like two years? Two years yeah. Yeah, year and a half maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite, quite baby poet. I don't know. Yeah. So, what's that been like for you? That sort of exploration of queerness and being able to give it language through poetry. Mm, I guess in a word, freeing would be one word. Um, fun. It's just fun, right? It's fun to do salacious poetry and um, talk about ass and tits and pussy and use all those words in a poem and watch people's faces change whether they laugh or are shocked or whatever. Um, uh, I think my queer journey is, is I mean, it's never ending, right? And I think I'm uh, coming from America and living in New Zealand, um, there are adaptations that you have to make, right? And um, the culture is different here and um, which means the poetry is different here because the people are different here and the ideas and the feelings are different here. And so um, I think sometimes I, f I feel um, probably like a lot of immigrants feel, which is to feel kind of out of place in some scenarios or some spaces. Um, but just, I guess, remembering that like every single person is an, an in individual and like my experiences are my own. And so kind of just being like, all right, well, I'll just go be me because that's all I've got anyways. <laughs> so um, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, hopefully people like it. And um, But yeah, I think, um, so Grace and I here, we um, we were in the, uh, the gay choir together and Grace still is in the choir. Um, but I think when I first joined, my style was super different, like, because I had just come out, and I was wearing button-ups, and I, like, got the undercut done, and, you know what I mean, and so, and it's like, and, and, and I recently bought Crocs, and I'm, like, I'm so influenced by New Zealand, and just the different things, and the queers here, and uh, I had the wolf cut before, and the mullet, and, you know what I mean, like, so it's, um, yeah, ex experimental, freeing, experimental, I think it's just fun to try new things, and, um, Remember to be yourself, but that yourself can change. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, one of the things that you talked about was sort of cultural differences. And uh, Josh, you sort of touched on that earlier in terms of like coming at things from a Pacifica angle because you are a Pacifica poet, you're a Pacifica performer. Um, I guess something that I'm interested in from you is how your 
poetry and being able to express yourself, especially about queer sex, changes depending on the audience that you're in front of as well. Yeah, like how, how, how that feels for you in, in different spaces. Yo, yeah. Um, such a good question. Such a good question. Because I think, um, yeah, it'll, it's almost like to be, to be brown is one thing, to be brown and queer is a whole different thing. Um, and the code switching and the exhaustion with that, it can be quite a lot. Um, but I think f because like you're also navigating like va and space, relational space in between you and your elders and you and your peers, and there's that that still exists within the context of queerness too. Um, even today, like I was like, okay, I'm mindful, I'm wearing a skirt, but I bought an ear lover lover to cover myself when I say my poetry, but that's not denying myself, that's just being respectful to my culture. So it's all of these nuances that you're just navigating kind of in, in here. But I think in terms of myself, I'm very much unapologetically myself. Um, but and uh, I know who I am. Um, and so that doesn't change in terms of my audience and what I have to say but I'm also very intelligent and clever with how I do things. And so I wanna make sure that I am respecting that space, respecting that bar um, and ensuring and, and allowing people to kind of hear what I have to say. And so, yeah, there's a whole lot of like dipping, you know, you're just kind of dipping, dipping in and out. Um, and yeah, but uh, I think that that's, uh, you know, there's a reason why we're navigators. We know how to navigate these spaces. Doesn't say, um, it doesn't kind of diffuse how hard it is to navigate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of yeah where I am at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of just, you know, I'm just me, yeah. <laughs> that was a really incredible answer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, I feel really lucky to be able to ask you questions. Um, <laughs> um, I guess uh, one thing that I want to ask you, Grace, um, because you're also a teacher and an educator um, and you work with, you're an English teacher and you work with kids who are writing poetry and you're also, I'm imagining, part of the QSA at, um, at the school where you work. Um, yeah, I, I guess like what are, what are some of the experiences that you've had with young people sort of exploring their queerness, exploring sexuality, um, through their writing? Oh, that's such a great question. Firstly, can I just apologise for eating a muesli bar on stage? Um, I'm pregnant and I get hungry very suddenly and need to eat something immediately. So Congratulations I'm to you. Thanks. <laughs> um, so what is really interesting, yes, I run, um, I co-run the um, poetry club with my two friends, um, Jordan and Vinny. Um, and I also, shout out Jordan, he's here. <laughs> Um, and I also run the QSA, and there is the, the queer group, and there is a fair amount of crossover between students who go to those two groups. But what is really interesting is that in the poetry group, there has been, I don't think, anything not that wasn't, there might have been some things students were writing that were about their queerness that were so steeped in metaphor that I didn't read that into it. So... Yeah, we kind of, we see a lot of things in the poetry that our students are writing, but not necessarily that, that kind of straightforward. A lot of our students do like to write like very metaphorical stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I do count myself like deeply lucky to be working with the queer students at school because it's taught me so much about queerness and 
like every every Wednesday when we meet, I'm just so in awe at how much the world has changed since I was at school. Like I didn't come out until I was 28. The idea of having a queer group at school like wouldn't have existed. And I ha I've had somebody ask me um, in the last like week or so if I was going to give the baby a gender neutral name. And I was like, no, I think I'll just name the baby whatever I want to because if they decide something about their gender or they, you know, figure out some stuff about themselves, they're probably going to choose their own name anyway, even if I do give them a gender neutral name, because that's my experience with students at school. Like, they might have the most kind of like innocuous or neutral name, but what they really want is a name that stands out or a name that does something different. So, yeah, I, I guess I kind of like witnessed different things in those two different groups. I think it was interesting um, what you mentioned in terms of like not having a, having a group um, when you were at school. Um, I'm not sure about the rest of you. I definitely didn't have any sort of queer support. Quinn, you didn't either. You might have. You would have had Skittles. Yeah. Skittles. Shout out Margaret Hugendorn to it. <laughs> No, we we had a, a condom over a test tube. Test tube. Yeah. That, <laughs> that cracked. Ooh. <laughs> yep. Shout out to the physics teacher with the strongest grip <laughs> in the North Shore. Yikes. Um, what about you, Niall? Did did you have any sort of like? Because I think you're. I'm. I'm gonna just assume that you're the youngest person here. I don't know. Maybe you just look very young. Maybe, I don't know. But um, whether you had any sort of like queer support when you were at school? Um, we had a gay-straight alliance in high school, but um, it was full of straight people. <laughs> so I didn't hang out there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, and like in high school, I was still very much like, there's no way I could be queer. like don't talk to me about that you know so I just wasn't gonna go there or anywhere really but um, I think since I've graduated um, long ago I think um, my high school has gotten a lot better with that and there are actual like I think the alliance is still there and um, there are like actual queer kids in there so that's really cool but um, yeah no it wasn't really what I needed it to be or what like maybe it could have helped me out when I was in high school but yeah it wasn't that way when I was there mm. yeah because the school that I teach at is a school that I went to for two years so um I can see like a direct comparison between what that like that exact school was like when I was a student and I'm so grateful for all the strides that the school's made since you know in that time all right I am going to have to wrap this up because we want to get to some poetry tonight. Um, <laughs> woo! Uh, thank you all so much um, for your contributions. I'm hoping that um, with the knowledge that, you know, we, I think, as a society are still working to build queer spaces for ourselves um, and pride is still very much necessary, um, that tonight can be one of those spaces where we sort of, like, create safety around talking about queerness talking about sex and talking about queer sex so um that is what we're in for we're going to take a quick five minute break do a little rearrangement um hold tight 
and we'll be back with some poems very soon. Thank you very much. You can come sit here. A space has been made for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, thanks for coming back. I hope you enjoyed your little break. Um, so, uh, the second part of tonight is a poetry showcase. Um, so, all of our poets that were up on stage tonight are going to read some poetry for you. Um, I'm going to start us off with um, what we in the slam scene call a sorbet poem. Um, it's got nothing to do with sorbet in terms of its subject matter. It's just a palate cleanser for you to get you ready for what's to come. Um, a little preamble for this one. Um, most of us in New Zealand know the fruit fijoa. Um, there is another word for that, which is pineapple guava. And um, also important to note is that South Africans use the word guava to refer to a vulva or a vagina. <laughs> Metaphors. <laughs> she says she's not a morning person, spends too many nights riding smoke dreams to the other side of the horizon to really want to wake up with the birds. She says she can't drink coffee because her heart is broken and the jump starts feel like breakdowns and when she's alone, there's no roadside assistance. So she takes a rest, sleeps through sunrise, says she's tired of everything, says the mugwort gives her nightmares and the benzos make her clumsy. She fumbles through routines while her mind throws her curveballs and she's over it. So I wake her with breakfast. Pineapple guava are endless in autumn. The weather is cooling, but the fruits still turn to syrup if you leave them in the heat. We share spoons and scoop the wet flesh like a honeymoon, slurp sweetness till we're dizzy, lick the sugar off each other's chins, and make our way into daytime. She's pledging to a pineapple guava morning ritual while the season's ripeness still falls into her lap. Thank you very much. So our first pop for the evening is Grace Shelley. Um, yeah. Welcome to the stage, Grace. <laughs> um, so I am really delighted to be here. I'm going to be reading four poems tonight, um, three of my own and one by somebody else. Um, I'm going to start with a poem called Avocado Toast with an Absurd Amount of Avocado. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote this um, during a time in my life a couple of years ago when I um, was feeling very um, bitter about not being able to afford to buy a house. Um, and also I was having um, a ton of casual sex. Um, <laughs> both of those things have reversed now. Um, so I do own a house and unfortunately, because of the whole baby situation, I'm not having any <laughs> casual sex. Um, but other than that, the, the poem still stands. <laughs> I want to breakfast every day on avocado toast with an absurd amount of avocado on it. Not half an avocado eked out over two slices of 80 GSM white bread, but a whole avocado splayed out thick on thick resilient bread, textural like, like not brushing the rose petals off the silk sheets and just fucking right on top of them. I want to yawn my mouth wide and take in everything I deserve, avocado with her legs spread, the good tea bags, a house deposit, cunts. 
but every year I earn more money, and the more I earn, the less I can stomach a late-night route in a stranger's house. Once, when I was young, 20 or 19, I ate a macaron, expecting its sweet taste on my tongue, but after spitting it discreetly into one of the Langham's cloth napkins, I looked at the high tea menu, blue cheese, it said, with olive icing. I should have eaten the whole thing, because you're not supposed to like the taste of potions, but boy, do they change you on a fundamental level. The stories tell you not to eat the fairies' food, because it binds you to their kingdom. Imagine if I became trapped in the kingdom where people eat olive and blue cheese macarons without blinking. I could eat a whole avocado every day and fuck people who aren't strangers. Um, this next one deals with the um, intersection between um, religion and sex or religion and queerness. Um, I grew up Christian, but I'm no longer Christian. And um, this poem has a couple of incidents that happened while I was still part of the church. Um, the first uh, one that I'm addressing is um, when I was about 10 years old, we like physically moved the chapel of our church from one property to another property. And um, a bunch of people from the congregation, we had kind of like a hikoi in the middle of the night behind the church as it moved. Um, and then the other um, incident that I'm talking about in here is um, when I was praying over somebody about six or seven years later in that same chapel. It's called My Family Walked Behind the Chapel. My family walked behind the chapel when I was 10 as it made its second exodus, this time from Birkdale to Tramway Road. Its first journey was on logs from Chelsea Sugarworks to Birkdale Road because back then moving buildings on trucks hadn't been invented yet. It felt important to walk in the chapel's wake. Through faith, all things are possible. Just as six years later, it felt important that I sat on its hard floor, my hands shimmering on either side of her head, the way they are supposed to when you pray, like a witty, like an uncontrolled heat. The chapel had broken in neither of its two moves, but I thought I would. There was something in her head I didn't understand, and I spoke in tongues or something like them, words I did not intend to speak, but which were called forth from within me. Let her go, I said, let her go, my voice becoming wild like the locusts between John the Baptist's teeth. I'm sure my hands rubbing at the blank air around her skull scared her. Where does that energy go when it's not believed in? It existed once between my hands waving with the Holy Spirit, and it, and, it, and it existed in me falling in prayer and my knees not bruising. And then I didn't want my name to be graven on anyone's hands, and I didn't want to feel like I was dying all the time, so I stopped the Holy Spirit from existing. Now I do not feel guilt with every sigh, but my hands still shimmer, and I still feel that something holy is moving through me, just not in a way the Lord would approve of. My whole body is a prayer, and I certainly speak in tongues. When, I, when um, that one was published in a journal um, last year or the year before, I put it up on my Instagram and I immediately got a um, message from my partner's partner, just Polly things, saying, um, is, that a, is that a cunnilingus reference at the end? And I was like, oh God, I didn't realize it was that obvious. I thought it was metaphorical. I sent this poem to my family. <laughs> so, <laughs> nobody ever brought it up, so it's great. Um, the next one I'm going to read is um, from this book uh, by Adrian Rich, a, um, a lesbian poet who died in 2012. Um, this is from a series of poems called 21, is it 21 Love Poems? 
Um, and this is from within that series, and it doesn't have a number. It's called The Floating Poem. The, the Floating Poem Unnumbered. This is the one that I read to somebody in the morning after we'd had sex. And it is my um, favorite piece of writing about queer sex and is, um, was written in the mid-70s, but is certainly more salacious than anything um, I've written. Whatever happens with us, your body will haunt mine, tender, delicate. Your lovemaking, like the half-curled frond of the fiddlehead ferns in forests just washed by sun. Your travelled, generous thighs, between which my whole face has come and come. The innocence and wisdom of the place my tongue has found there. The live, insatiate dance of your nipples in my mouth. Your touch on me, firm, protective, searching me out. Your strong tongue and slender fingers reaching where I had been waiting years for you in my rose-wet cave. Whatever happens, this is. It's a beautiful poem. Um, and now I'm reading one of my, the last one is one of my own again. It's called Stand Between Me and the Sun Like an Eclipse. Stand between me and the sun like an eclipse, but in a hot way. <laughs> Cast your shadow onto my skin like a bee sting on a Venus flytrap. I know you're not supposed to look an eclipse full in the face, but baby, I want to see your stellar corona. Burn my retina's baby, but sexily like a sunflower tucked behind Medusa's ear. Lean down to adjust my collar like lava-kissing trees as it rubenesques down the mountain's creamy thighs. Baby, you're a savage neon orange wave I want to sink my fingers into even if it burns them off. I'm making you sound so dangerous, but you're not. Or you are, but only in the sense that you've cracked my whole life open, baby, like squeezing a walnut between two metal teeth and then the handle slipping and giving you a blood blister and curling up on your grandma's knee and saying it's the worst Christmas ever until she takes the walnut in her sturdy hands and cracks it for you, only as dangerous as that. You can crack my life apart like a nut anytime you like, baby, <laughs> but in a good way, don't get me wrong, in a hot way. Thanks. Far out, that was sick. Um, oh man, I really like that poem that you shared that um, was from the 70s as well. <laughs> Thanks for putting the aircon on earlier. Um, our next poet tonight um, is Niall. Come on up. Fresh. Kilda. Um, yeah, so this is my first sex poem. It's so it's short uh, <laughs> and shrouded in mystery and metaphor and imagery because I'm very shy and this is my first thing like this. So, um, <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, it doesn't have a title, but I'll title it now. Um, it's called Hecatome. In winter is when I would say being a hecatome makes the most sense. Everyone is inside, and so are you. You can bleed, 
debone, sacrifice the hundred parts of yourself in the privacy of your own home. I am so good at swelling. Another year as opal, the pieces left for the people after the priests have been fed. This is my millionth time as a fine sheen of tallow shining across the teeth. Like a good boy, I am always ready to be spread over anything. In my first attempt at writing about sex, I start with propitiation, wholesale, images that mean my room is cold, I am alone but still pumping with blood. While the other animals tense up, I am begging to be cut into early. It is not the right time to sacrifice dogs, so good thing I am a wolf. No matter the season, many gods will still take a savage. The bulls sit nervous in garlands, and I am rushing headfirst for the altar. The Olympic Games used to be a, reli a religious ceremony. When the men wrestled, slipped leathered heel on marble hall, rested head against Apollo thin waist right before crushing them, it was for Olympus. What I am trying to say is that I want the same. Split me open like you would for a god. Thank, uh, thank you. Damn, what a finish. Woo! <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Where are you? Thank you so much. What an incredible first queer sex poem. Let's give it up again for Niall. All right. Um, Josh, you're up. Um, we need to do a quick rearrangement, and um, then, we'll, then we're ready. Um, yo, what's up, y'all? Um, I've got one kind of long poem to read. It's going to be like about 10 minutes, so get comfy. I'm going to get comfy too, okay? Um, but yeah, 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 just be me in the space, yo. <clears throat> A voice felt alone for as long as I can. Remember, whether it was because I was an only child until 16, born to the song, you to me are everything. It seems I had inherited everything, required to feel alone. Whether it was because I was poor, because I was brown, because I was queer, I can't quite put my finger on which index it fits in anymore. I'm perplexed, and I have been for a while. Because life always felt mundane, like a magic was missing. One that I only saw in fairy tales, even though I ironically developed a foot fetish, these slippers weren't made of glass. These slippers were made of smoke. Sex soaked in dark, dark magic, where instead of Prince Charming's, I found pigs and poppers. 
perpetually perplexed, especially since genetically my polysexuality was already shrouded as it was, clouded as it was, a bang in the sky as it was, a part in the lungy as it was, where missionaries invaded our islands and told us how it should be, labeling our ancient queer brown magic as heresy, which too would lead to our own people calling us the curse. Where we went from being brave warriors of valor to abominations. They took the mana from our very being. They just could not comprehend our Oceanian orgasmic magic. This Polynesian Pacific Pacifica pussy penis power power. This relational understanding of gender and sexualities as fluid as the waters that lap on our shores as soaked as the mop when mopping your floors. You have already taken so much away from us. Give us our sex back. Our life energy, our breath of life energy, our ha energy, our sexuality, our magic. Give us back our magic. Abracadabra, alakazam, and give our cousins back their land. Moon, prison, power, make our bubbles blossom and buttercup. Give back what was taken, give back what was lost. Azeroth, Metrion, Xenthos. I guess maybe that's why I felt so alone. Because I have and have always felt this burning magic within me, this binary blitzing energy, I mean energies, femininity, masculinity, never limiting, always in between. Va, do you know how beautiful you are? My brown queer survivors, to know ourselves, we need not go very far. And that unsettling, un and that unsettling, unravel the settler feeling you feel. I feel it too. This unsettling feeling, this spider tingling. I thought it would stop when I fought the first time with my first bow brown brother, but there seems to be others, other green gremlins on this yellow brick road, other things I feel in the mirror of my bones like codes. Have you been to Dorothy's place? Do you want to know what my first speech was in high school? I was 13 years old, year nine. It was my first year at Mount Roskill Grammar School. And in front of 120 students and all the English teachers, my speech was about <coughs> sex. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. You're thinking about it. And we should all start talking about it. With my GHD straightened hair that swept across my forehead when you got a speech competition at seven and the black parade at eight when you didn't pass the second round but you still kind of ate when my speeches feel more than just speeches but cries that run deep beyond me where this loneliness I feel isn't because I am lonely where these spells cast into the abyss aren't because I am alone no, this loneliness is the loneliness of our islands, where I can see our sea of islands as clear as day. But out here, D-Low Polly Boy from the hood still struggling with the term gay, where our churches are immaculate while our magic decays. The bird song I sing on my heart today is an invitation to time travel with me. In and through the bar. In and through space and time itself, in and through the vafetu, etched into skin and into time. Did you know that we see more stars in the southern hemisphere? It's just too bad my people are covered in shame and fear when it comes to our own song of sex. 
instead. Brown queerness sometimes look like, looks like faceless profiles. Toxic masculinity is a scapegoat personality. Gee, what's your snap? I don't want to get snapped. And so the face of brown queer sex becomes faceless. And instead of thriving queer brown descendants of our ancestors, we just become ghosts. Well, it's a good thing I sleep with my mirrors uncovered because I'm not afraid to uncover the truth. I'm not afraid of ghosts. In fact, they talk to me the most. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of life. I'm fearless because it runs in my DNA. And speaking of DNA, I was wondering, can we just have a moment to address brown queer loss? Can we just have a moment to heal? Can we just have some time and space to reconnect to our stars? Can we just have some island time to mourn the erasure of ourselves? Can we just have some time to ourselves? Can we just have some time with ourselves and our queer ancestors? Can we just have some time to face the rising ocean and breathe in the salty sweat that covers our bodies when we have sex? Can we just go back to the beginning when you to me were everything? Back to sex life energy. Can we just make some time to rem remember ourselves, surrender ourselves do you remember do you remember looking into my eyes while the palm trees swayed behind me the sound of waves caressing salmon sandy shores in my fale there are no doors in this space you are safe in this space you are special, you are sacred, you are chosen, you are tapu, the closest thing we have to Tangaloa, who too is beyond binary. Look around and my fale, there are no doors, there are no closets. This ancient space is open, this ancient space is free, this is how it's supposed to be. Do you remember when our sex was free? When we were two brown queer bodies folding over each other, like the waves that lick our ra'a. Because when we ride waves together, we read the stars and we know exactly where we are going. Br baby, brown queer Pacific sex is coming more times than constellations. I can already see you rising, supernova after supernova, feeling life energy, intergenerationally, intergalactically, interstellar, kissing each other until the sun goes down, giving that Nisha mystic nostalgic sound. When we have sex, we time travel, Conjuring ancient sexual liberation, our tupuna have been waiting to see us return to ourselves. Return to our ways of being, of being one with the source of being, with our sex, with our magic. I cannot wait for that day where our amnesia is washed away and we're finally back to island time where life is as slow as our sex and our village embraces us, where there are no doors to open because we already know we belong. Where we're all chanting ancient songs, the sweetest song that I could sing, oh baby. And as we sing our bird song, calling across the skies, I can feel this loneliness drift with the nimbus, drifting like the ocean current we draw with sticks. So too do I draw you closer to your ancient self. You see, this is no fairy tale. This is a memory. Do you remember?
another hand for Joshua. That was so incredible. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. That was really good. That was incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, I don't really want to say anything about that because I have nothing to add. It was incredible. Thank you so much. Um, our next poet tonight is Quinn. Where are they? Oh, there you are, right there. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to the stage, Quinn. Well, fuck, I have to follow that. So <laughs> I, I am so, I'm so sorry. This uh, lighting, though, is very sexy. Very, very sexy lighting. <sighs> All right, well, I just, uh, I'm just beside myself. I'm trying to collect myself after that. That was just, that was incredible. I was very lucky, actually, to see Josh's um, show, Odd Daphne. I don't know if anyone else in the room got to see that, but it was incredible. Um, let me just pull up the first one. So this first one, um, and pretty much all of my poems uh, are about my girlfriend who's in the audience, baby. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, enjoy this embarrassment. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> oh, I should probably preface the first half of this is about my ex, but the good part of it is about her. <laughs> Just to be clear. It's called Ass and Assonance. Loving you lacked luster, left me in a rut, a sucker punch to my sucked in size 18 gut. I suck on Sour Patch Kids for a snack in between lunch. I guess this year my fears have really packed a punch, line hanging out my clothes while I work on my prose. I cut roses in the garden, but I keep my guard up. Pruned you like a posy, you no longer get to know me. Never scissored you, so I had to use my shears. Wicked weeds waiting to withdraw from my lawn. Got tired of your tyranny. You're a terrible yawn. Compressed and depressed, ready for the beyond. Practically pushing up daisies, praying for you to be gone. Your tears only ever watered you. Your soil soaked from sensitivity and the inability to shoulder your share of responsibility suddenly so dry when it came to me. A bee incapable of pollinating. The nectar never left your noble wings. A peasant preposterously posing as a queen. See, but she's secure. And I'm attached. 
<laughs> For once, not awaiting animosity attacks, actually allowing affection acquire assent, restricted renovations require resource consents, conserving conversations. Here's the version that's condensed. You were a fucking mess. Now, <clears throat> let me skip ahead to me in bed with someone else undressed. Lately, puckering up my two lips to another girl's lips for a chapstick or a matte gloss kiss, finishing first to finally fall asleep before her, stirred the sheets in her sleep to get a sip of water. I want to be the person that makes her thirsty in the night, tackling terrors, terrorizing through dreams, distracting demons, derailing her peace. I've spent this year on top and underneath each sweaty, sexy session a sonnet to me. She's got gracious gratitude for my anxious attitude, switching positions from longitude to latitude. I wait with wide eyes for the wax to burn my thighs, a bratty bottom begging for bruises, no surprise. She's definitely dominating, demonstrating power. I'm salivating over each sensation by the hour, respectfully requesting my remarkable release like... Can I come now, please? Relying on red handprints for both sets of cheeks. I guess when you spend so much time fucking, you forget how much the world is sucking. She's asking me what assonance is, so I ask her to arch her back, and I eat her ass until her arms give. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this next one is partially inspired by my new favorite movie, and if you know, you know. I have given you the wrong impression. When I undressed out of that sundress and you rested your head upon my chest, you said, you just want me for my body. And my body ran cold because that's simply not so. So I must have been too hungry with my hands, always trying to fill them to feel you. And I'll tell you the truth, I do love your body. It is the home in which you reside, so I'm beside myself while I'm beside you, and I lay down the book on the bedside table on the right-hand side, and I sigh. <sighs> I look you in the eyes, and I remind you that it is I that puts eye drops in your eyes for you at night because you have allergies. And I remind you that the book on the table by our bedside is one I've been reading to you each night because the different voices I do for each character brings you delight. And when we're eating, I always offer you a bite of mine because you love to share food, but I never did until I was with you. And if I'm feeling nice, I scoop the cat poop, but it's only because, it's only your job usually because my back ain't what it used to be. I used to take my body so seriously, my tattoos had to have meaning. Sometimes to my body, I'm just mean without the ing, but when it comes to your body, I want to tell everybody that it is a bagel with everything seasoning and that I want you everywhere all at once. Yeah, yeah I'm whipped. <laughs> I'm obsessed with her. She knows it. It's not good for her ego. This <laughs> um, next one is called Carnivorous Clits. <laughs> <laughs> People compare femininity to flowers, bunches of bouquets waiting between legs to be devoured, as if clits are carnations and not carnivores. Have you ever been to a carnival before? You may think a vulva is a fun house, but if you weren't invited by us, you should get out. I spit my poetry into your tea, stirring rotationally, waiting for you to sink so I can sink my teeth in to strength I use to win my girl a prize. My most prized possessions are her size when I'm inside, possessing her with no strings, 
attached first and foremost emotionally, flossing feelings like candy, dreams of sugar spun, spinning around in strawberries and her screams, throwing fortunes like darts in the dark, mirroring each other until we forget who we are. The tether is a tight rope we tiptoe together. Cake stands with funnels, feed our frenzy with pleasure. Normally I can't stand cake, but hers is the best ever. Don't need to be the fairest of them all if I get to ride by her side in a Ferris wheel so tall. Maybe one day I'll toss her a ring, and if she says yes, you'll hear this fat lady sing. Thank you. Um, and also just really huge thank you to Sara and Dan for organizing this. Like, clap for them, please. Like, this is, thank you. Thanks to Move Space. Um, I've got one last one for you, and it's called Pollution and Penetration. Discarded at the bottom of our laundry hamper is a black silicone strap-on dildo. We've only really used it about three times, though. Pressured not by my partner, but by expectations of what queer sex should be. I thought she'd like sex more if she got to absolutely rail me. I used to be in a group of queer friends, you see, and they were all hyped up about fucking their partners in the style of doggy, and it's a queer eats queer world, and what's hot and what's not. Like, the undercuts, the eyebrow slit, bottom switches and tops. I find myself taking taking tips from Gen Z on TikTok. I really don't want this era of my life to be a flop, but sometimes I find queer sex kind of sus. I just want love like Bill and Frank in The Last of Us. <laughs> Linger longer in life and lust gets left in the dust. You clear the cobwebs only when the mood strikes, if your mood and their mood is just right, because most of the time, you're building blocks of foundation molded from boredom. You don't have to break molds, you can absorb them. My partner is great at shock absorption. She takes the brunt of all my damages and distortions, practices kintsugi, paints my pieces with gold and repairs what was broken. She would take no credit in the cure, pointing to me, saying it was all her. Healing hurts, handed out by other hands. She waters my garden without making demands. At night, before we sleep, she tells me that she'll miss me. And it's then when I see any recent resentment I might have been keeping gets softly blown away under her gentle breathing. Her practicality provides me with perspective. Consent is about choice. And penetration is an elective. I'm pointing this out because my point is how we as a collective have decided that we can make our own rules now. Please, don't feel peer pressured into liking penetration. You're perfectly allowed your own preferences and persuasions. Gentle reminder that boredom often equals safety. Trust in that theory, and maybe you'll thank me. Fireworks are fun while they last, but they fade and fizzle out fast, leaving only pollution behind and being stuck in traffic after midnight. <laughs> thank you. God, Colin's poetry is always so sick. Honestly, I wish I had rhymes like you. It's just incredible. Thank you so much. All right, our last poem, poet, <laughs> our last poet for tonight um, is our good friend, Dan Goodwin, needs no introduction. Come on up. We were chatting about how to like work a microphone stand 
earlier, and my advice, my contribution to the thing was, uh, do a dick joke. <laughs> <laughs> Just do this. <laughs> there we go. Didn't say it was a good contribution, but. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I've just got two uh, poems for you. Um, I was chatting with Josh and Niall earlier um, about something that I think I've chatted with you before as well, this thing of uh, queer people writing about queer sex often. Um, and I've, gotten, I've had it a whole bunch, this kind of assumption of explicitness or the idea of doing that kind of thing for shock factor or some in, um, implication that when you write about sex, you're being blunt and explicit and you lose the ability to read a room or read nuance or you forego some kind of communication, conversation with the audience, um, which is simply not true. I think queer people have such a skill in being able to read a room before they enter into it. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the things we're best at, for better or worse. Um, but yeah, uh, two poems. This is a new one, and then I have an old one as well. I write about queer sex, and I tell myself I am not just writing about sex, that sex is never just about sex. I write about queer sex, and I worry I am being narcissistic centering myself in a way that feels presumptuous. I write about queer sex and tell people the reason is education, which it is. I write about queer sex and realizing I am starting every line with a disclaimer, not just for existence, but the way my senses extend out into the world as if sight, sound, taste, and touch were sins. Realize I have a straight voice in my head saying, how dare you perceive us? Do you know how uncomfortable that is? Then I realize that voice is not a straight voice. So I stop, leave my laptop, spend time with queer friends, come home, continue. I write about queer sex and pray that I could be E.T. riding in the basket of your childhood, bike across the moon, and no matter how alien I might be, you will always see the brightest part I will always guide you home. I write about queer sex and will the hurricane from Oz to surround us as we dance in the barn. Hay becomes home as Dorothy goes on her adventure. Everyone's so concerned about the unnatural disaster. They can't say, see the way your hair blows perfectly across your forehead. I write about queer sex and rarely do I tell anyone the people are fictional. I have never had a partner and don't know if I ever could. But hey, aren't those stories wild? Aren't those dreams I have vivid? Don't you think if being queer was unnatural, I wouldn't be able to start from scratch so well? I write about queer sex and plant drafts of poetry underneath flower beds in a public garden. So if I never make it to writing an honest love poem, at least they will grow something public, colorful, Something that will survive without me having to do anything except exist in the beginning. A chance to rewrite a creation myth with queers in it in some small way. Strangers will stroll through and say, wow, these are some great flowers. 
I write about queer sex, and sometimes the only goal is to transform a story into something so ridiculous, so absurd, that people laugh and say I am being explicit, when actually all I am doing is making sure these characters know nothing but pleasure. I write about queer sex, and sometimes people call it pornography. But the first genres to ever house us were horror and pornography, so then let it be pornography where the gay boy comes home alive, where the gay boy is not tied to a fence in Wyoming and taught about in high school, when the queer boy is not gunned down in a Chicago nightclub or set on fire in Glasgow. I write about queer sex, and the inspiration is always how long it took me to stop shaking on our first date. I write about queer sex, and every time a straight person makes a homophobic comment, I mark my number on the wall of another club room bathroom cubicle, call for a gay time. (laughs) Every so often my mobile rings, I pick up, but do not speak. Just listen to the sound of another queer person saying hello over and over. Proof I am desired somewhere for something unseen and intangible, inherent and beautiful. I write about queer sex because in some way I believe all queer people go through this. I have to believe other people go through this or else I have nothing but these poems about longing, about a decision to shout a name into the darkness and pray. I write because I need to. I need to believe someone will shout back at me. Um, yeah, no, someone asked me, uh, did someone ask me? I don't know, people in general, it's like sometimes the question is thrown my way, so that was a genuine attempt to try and answer why I write about queer sex uh, for them and myself in kind of a serious way. Um, this is a less serious response to that question of like why I write about queer sex um, that I wrote for... I was about to say a friend, for a man that I knew in Thirsty Dog, for those who know <laughs> Thirsty Dog. Yeah. Um, it's called Fuck Me From The Grave and Be Original for once. <laughs> um, a well-intentioned friend said recently, you know, you won't be able to talk about sex in your poems forever. Eventually, it will become crass. He is not wrong. There's a whole lot of crass in my poems and a hole in my crass the size of a sewer grate, which is great for getting in... Cock. (laughs) Eventually, all this sex will become unacceptable. Well, until then, my poet brand is filthy bottom whore, like apple bottom jeans with a hole in the back, or fat bottom girl with a fanny pack filled with another hole. Wow, shocker. (laughs) Eventually, you will start to come across like, oh, you know. He says this with the same anxiety my grandmother had when she thanks me for not being one of those gays. You know, the ones that look just like you and me and have no discernible features distinct from any other human being except maybe the trail of semen flowing from their asshole. (laughs) Like a snail who enjoys a brisk walk. (laughs) There's more to being gay than having sex with men, sure, but sex with men is at least like 60% of the gig. Six, (laughs) 69 on a good day. Also, 
you don't get to decide what our pride means. Sexual liberation isn't sexy when you're in your 60s. When you're queer, your 60s is your 30s. Except why are we so obsessed with stealing years from queer people still? I am 29, and I can hear the clock counting down towards gay death, this notion that queer lives stop being fun and exciting at 30. I am non-binary, but that still hasn't stopped the countdown of being male-coded my whole life. I think about my friend, who is almost a 60-year-old straight man. I wonder how much of the sexual shame is his. I wonder how much of it I might inherit still. How much of it is homophobia? How much of it is puritanical prudishness? How much of it is sex being indivisible from profit in a capitalist-based society where even acting purely for pleasure can be branded, given value, and therefore bought and sold? That is a different poem. <laughs> I am so proud of the sex that I have. Fuck me, or fuck off. <laughs> I can make my partner's anus chime as if you were standing inside the bells of the Notre Dame. I can wear him down like Notre Dame after the fire. Hashtag don't build it back. When I sleep, I stick my ass cheeks out of the sheets in case he feels up for a midnight snack. When we take baths together, I pretend to be a submarine and stick my penis just above the surface. I make him laugh because sex can be funny. You are sticking your bodies together so well that God is suing Lego for copyright. <laughs> Writing a poem about queer sex in full detail is political. For any assault survivor, sex is political. For any queer person, sex is political. It will still be so when I am 60 and 70 and 80. And when I am dead, it will be remarkable if I am still writing. <laughs> but I hope that some queer kid reads me and thinks, ha, huh, maybe I don't have to figure out all this straight away. If I could tell my 16-year-old self anything, it would be to take your time. Pride will come when it's meant to. We'll grow like primrose in the Scottish winter. So when I die, bury me with my ass cheeks sticking just above the ground. <laughs> my epitaph reading, well loved. <laughs> but better used. I'm keeping Dan up here with me. Um, that's us for tonight. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, our poets tonight were incredible. Um, thank you so much, Grace, Niall, Josh, Quinn, and Dan. Thank you so much for helping organize tonight. It was incredible. I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And can I just get one massive round of applause for the driving force behind all of this? Your host, Sazok, Sarah Craig, Poetry Snaps. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Let's turn on house lights. <laughs>